Well, welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family, love, and relationships. I'm your host for this podcast, Christopher Robbins, husband, father of nine, founder of Familius, fly fisherman, and outdoor enthusiast living in the beautiful Central Valley of California. We welcome today's guest, Jessica Spear. Now, Jessica is the award-winning author of BFF, or NRF, Not Really Friends, A Girl's Guide to Happy Friendships, and Middle School Safety Goggles Advised. Her interactive books engage and entertain readers by combining the stories of preteens and teens with fun activities like quizzes and fill in the blanks. She is also the author of the upcoming The Phone Book, Stay Safe, Be Smart, and Make the World Better with That powerful device in your hand. Blending humor, science, and practical insights, her writing unpacks the tricky stuff that peaks during adolescence. She has a master's degree in social sciences and explores social emotional topics in ways that connect kids. For more information, visit www.jessicaspear, that's J-E-S-S-I-C-A-S-P-E-E-R.com. So today we're exploring the challenges parents have when giving their child or considering giving their child their first phone. The information shared aligns with the Finlay's habit, talk together and learn together. You can learn more about the Finlay's habits of happy families by going to the Habit Hub blog on Finlay's.com. Jessica, thanks for taking time to join us today. Hey, thank you for having me, Christopher. I'm excited to chat with you about this book. There's a lot to talk about with with kids and families and phones these days. Oh, there is. My wife teaches and she goes into class and all the kids have their phones and with earbuds in and she never knows whether they're actually paying attention or they're playing games or videos. Some of our our children's friends come in with their phones and our kids might complain that that their friends are on their phones while they're in our home just, you know, wanting to play or do something. It's this constant, it's constant challenges. So maybe you've experienced the same thing. So let's just start at the beginning. So what inspired you to write this book and why did you write it for kids? Yeah, good question. So I'm also the parent and my kids are now teens. But when I started this book, they were preteens and we were navigating this. And what I also do is I I, I love to explore the, you know what's going on with kids and adolescents with my research and my writing. So since everything is kind of shifting to phones now, I thought, perfect, perfect. I need to explore this. And I need to write a book about it. And when I got into the nitty gritty of this, I'm like, wow, there is a lot to talk about here. And what I specialize in is writing directly to the kids. One, because kids are so smart. They're so smart and they, and they really like to hear this information directly. So I thought, I'm going to try to write a book that speaks directly to them kind of in their language the ins and outs of this, you know, both the awesome positive stuff about phones, but also the deeper, darker side of technology that we kind of learn over time. So, so I started during the pandemic when we were all getting sucked into our phones. You know, it was a perfect time for me to be researching, of course, which I was doing a lot of research online and pulling in kind of the latest, greatest data on all this. And, and what I found is, you know, we're kind of still in the wild west here. You know, as, as parents, we can, we can understand that is, we don't really have clear guidelines and understanding of this. So we're all just kind of doing the best we can with the information we got. So I wanted to put a book out there that helped, that helped kids and that helped families navigate this huge time of change. Well, I know that my family 
would have benefited from this book, you know, years before. I can tell you that the rule in, in the Robbins home is that you don't get a phone until you go to college. Now, I don't know if that's draconian. I don't know if it's wrong. I know that for our family, it's in some ways it's been beneficial. I do have a son right now who's frustrated that he does not have a phone and, and we're having a battle. No, now counsel me. Am I going about this wrong? Oh, you know, that is, well, first of all, hats off to you for that is, that is a really, you know, significant rule you have in your house and every family is different. So I'm not going to say what you're doing is right or wrong. I think it really depends on every family and every kid. You know, every kid is different when it comes to their self-control, their maturity, what they're ready for, what they're using their phone for really differs. You know, so some parents might choose to give their kid a phone that only has the ability call them or text. So that's very different from handing your kid a phone that is basically a window to the world with social media and everything. So the answer to your question is, it totally depends. And I think for parents, what's most important is to just to keep that conversation open. You know, technology is here to stay. In fact, I, I read a recent study that over half of 11-year-olds now have a smartphone. So 11-year-olds, and, and again, and that was part of the inspiration behind the book. I thought if, if families are going to start giving kids phones really early, let's equipment, equip them with a lot of information and conversations so they can navigate that in safe and healthy ways. Okay. I'm all for inoculating kids against things that are, that are potentially dangerous for them. And so that, maybe that's what you're recommending. Just give them good information. Let's protect them from things. They have to make their own choices. Let's, yes. Let's uh, so let's talk about you. You researched this subject, phones and kids. So was there something that surprised you? What What did you learn that you think that we'd go, oh, that's something I hadn't considered. Yeah, you know what was most surprising to me is just how much we still do not know. You know, there's there's a lot of studies out there, but we're still trying to find really conclusive evidence as to what is the impact of kids. And I thought it was so interesting that. Just a few weeks ago, the U.S. Surgeon General came out with an advisory that social media and youth mental health advisory that even the, the Surgeon General of the United States right now is acknowledging, we do not have enough conclusive evidence that social media is safe for kids, yet a lot of kids are on it. So what I'm finding is it is still the Wild West out there. The train has left the station. It is profoundly impacted you know, kids' childhood, and we're still trying to figure out what this is all about. So, you know, the more we can study this, the more we can know, the more recommendations and guidelines we can put in place to help families, the better. Because it really is hard for all of this to fall on parents to try to navigate because everybody's doing it differently. Everybody has different beliefs because we don't have a really clear set of guidelines out there right now. So that's not real supportive of parents. I'm hoping that soon we can start to put some pieces in place to really support families in this. You know, in my research, I did find that different things are happening in other countries. In fact, in Asia, there's really strict guidelines and laws as to how much screen time kids can have. So what's happening around the world is very different from the United States. So parents, parents can do their best to try to get as, as informed as they can to try to make the best choices for them and their family. You know, I do encourage, remind parents that, you know, you are in charge. You get to make the rules for your family. But around that, 
have a lot of discussions so that they understand what those rules are. Stay open to change too, because things are always changing and we're getting new information. But this is you know, one of the biggest challenges that I find that parents are facing today. Okay, let's, let's maybe let's role play. So yeah. I'm, I'm a child. I mean, maybe I'm 11, 12, 13 years old. My friends have phones and I am complaining. I want a phone. I'm bugging you day and night. And what should you say to me? What should I, what, how would you approach me as a, as a child that I just want a phone and I need it now and I can't communicate <laughs> with my friends and I'm out there. And how do you expect me to call you if I need to write home or if I need to talk with you? What, what do you want me to do? I have to have a phone. Yeah, well, first I would start with getting a real deep understanding of what's happening there. So yes, we, we hear that they want a phone, but what is it really about that? So we sincerely understand that. One, is it, is it actually they do want to be able to call us, you know, when they're walking home from school? Or is it really a connection with their peers? So I think first we start by getting a very deep understanding of what it is they're asking for here. We can hear them because we're going to make some better decisions if we really understand where they're coming from. Two, you know, I would say, pause there and think about it. You don't have to make any decisions on the spot. Really think about it. Think, where is my child, you know, developmentally? What do I feel is safe for my child? If we do this, where do I feel comfortable starting? There's so many choices out there. You know, if it is about just, you know, feeling safe on their way home, I know my daughter started with that really simple gizmo gadget watch that allowed them basically to communicate with me directly. That was it. So, it, you know, it depends on what do they really want here. Then I also open the conversation to everything we now know. In fact, I've been encouraging parents to sit down with their kids and actually read the recently released, you know, Surgeon General Advisory. It's a page and a half. It's bulleted. And it's really easy to read. And so you can share your side then. Say, here's what I'm concerned with. Here's you know, what the Surgeon General of the United States has said. We're not exactly sure how safe this is yet for children your age. So this opens up the dialogue as to where both of you are coming from. And when you finally may make that decision to give them a device, you want that open dialogue. You want that really honest conversation about this to be ongoing. This is just the very beginning of that conversation. These conversations have to start way before they get the phone. And that's one of the the things that guided this book is like, what are all the conversations I would want to have with my kids about phones? So, you know, there's a chapter on privacy. There's a chapter on social media. There's a chapter on digital footprints. You know, there's a chapter on disinformation. So there's a lot of conversations there that we want to have prior to them getting a device. And then also while they're on their device, because once they get their device, they're learning too. So actually, once you get on social media, it's like, oh, okay. Now there's a whole bunch of new experiences that they're trying to navigate. Okay. So that's interesting. There's a lot happening in the world right now in terms of navigating fact versus fiction, truth Mm -hmm. versus lie. So I didn't realize that your book had a chapter on that. How do you, how does your book help youth? navigate that issue? Because it's so important to know what's true versus what's not true. Exactly. And this is a big problem right now online. So back in the first tech boom, so in the late 1990s, in order to allow for innovation, the tech companies were not at all liable for anything put on their platform, something that's harmful, something that is blatantly false. There's basically 
a free ride for any content on tech companies' platforms. And that's still true today. It's called Section 230. There's a lot of discussion as to whether we need to pull that back because we see what happens when there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation out there. But as of right now, you know, tech companies are not liable for a lot of harmful and false and possibly hazardous content on their sites. So, so that is, that's a real challenge that we, we have to face as a society. How do we navigate that? In the meantime, we need to help our kids learn about digital literacy. Some schools are doing a really good job about this. So how do we know whether what we're seeing and reading is actually reliable information? So I go deep into this in the book, but where I start with is a story about there was a a person who got into the business of disinformation because it was super profitable. So I start with a story, a little vignette about this person who actually realized, hey, I can create a website with a a fancy title like nationalnews.com. I can write all these stories that actually aren't true, but they're really interesting. Put them on there, have ads on there and make money when some of these things go viral on social media. So the story is about this person just to bring it down to the real human level, which is kind of fascinating. Like, wow, there's people making a lot of money just by pushing out false information out there and us clicking on them and, and generating ad space. So when kids see that, it, they start to realize, oh, okay, now, how, how can I avoid that? Kids, all of us hate to be duped. Kids especially hate to be duped. So we can teach them how to be really literate citizens of our digital world. You know, what do we look for? Where, what is the source? How credible is that source? Can we back it up? Talking about some of these sites like factchecker.com. So this is a big one and schools are starting to deal with this too. How can we make sure our kids understand you know, what is reliable information out there? So it sounds like it's really important for our children who have phones or who have access to that technology to know that there are people out there who are putting out information that is not true simply to profit from it. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. So a quick funny story is I have a son who was kept reading, went into those rabbit holes and down those rabbit holes and found and believed that there were wild kangaroos in Wyoming because somebody had said that they had created this story that people had brought kangaroos over to Wyoming and now they had gotten out and now there's this a whole herds of wild kangaroos roaming through Wyoming, which is not true. And it was really fun. I had to show him how this was not true and he was very disappointed to learn that there were not wild kangaroos. <laughs> oh, you know, and so in that okay, so I'm glad you said rabbit hole because talk about rabbit hole. So algorithms, this is another piece of information that I talk about in the book, but it's important for parents to talk to kids. How do algorithms work? Okay. So now, so he's searching this on, you know, this animal, this mythical animal that lives in Wyoming. Now the algorithm's like, oh, they're interested in this. Let's feed him more information on this. So we get into these deep holes, you know, because the algorithms are trying to share with us things that they, we know, they know we're interested in. And, you know, one of my teen daughters was on TikTok. She's taken a TikTok break because she realized that she said in her own words, this is so addictive, mom. They know exactly what I want to see. So these algorithms notice, you know, where do you pause? What are you actually spending time engaging with? And they send you more content like that. So it's really easy to get into a rabbit hole of information, you know, true or false, but to send you in a direction. So that's, kids like to know that. And in fact, one of the tips in my book, one study was done 
And it's called change your feed. So sometimes these rabbit holes can be really negative for kids. Maybe they've gotten a rap in a rabbit hole about self-harm or body image, and it's actually really impacting their well-being. This study showed that if kids are aware of that, they can begin to change their feed. Just knowing how algorithms work, they need to stop following certain things. They need to start looking at more positive things. So becoming more proactive in what they're actually seeing, knowing the, how powerful these algorithms are. So, so they can kind of counterplay that by choosing to look at different things. So then the algorithm is going to recognize, oh, okay, actually, they're not interested in that. Let's send them this information instead. But it's a bit of a battle. It takes a lot of emotional intelligence for kids to notice these things as they're getting sucked into some of these rabbit holes, as you said. I can see some teenagers just wanting to to just dork around with these tech companies and playing with the algorithms and making them think that they want one thing when they want another and just choosing all sorts of things. I, I can see teenagers having a, a field day with what they could do if they wanted just to, to, to change algorithms and what's Oh, happening. for sure. Yep, absolutely. They, they like to play. Well, before we end, let's have a little bit of fun. So I remember when texting just started and, you know, it's, texting is basically Morse code in many ways. <laughs> it's just, Yep. This is a new version of Morse code. It's been around forever. So I remember having to send a text to my uh, sales director years and years ago. And I said, what does LOL mean? You keep saying LOL. What does that mean? <laughs> and she said, no, it's laugh out loud. I had no idea. So you have a chapter that covers text slang galore. So can you share with us who, you know, we're boomers or we're, we're not even millennials. We're boomers. What are some slangs that we probably should know? Okay. So that chapter, it was so fun researching that because I also, I've got teens and I can't keep up with all the tech slang. So I'm often asking like, what is that? But so there's a lot of it that's just fun, like TTYL, talk to you later and things like that. But the real crux of this chapter gets into FOMO and something else called FOG, which fewer teens know what that is, but it is actually a thing. Okay, so we've heard about FOMO, fear of missing out, which is a real emotion of people of all ages. And what I see in teens is, one, they see a lot of things online that they might not have been included in. And that that feels really bad, especially when you're a teenager. Two, there's also this feeling of, gosh, I wish I looked like that, or I wish my selfies looked like that, or I wish I had that. So so this feeling that they wish their lives were more like a lot of the people online. So, so this chapter actually dives deep into that experience because it's really common for teens to feel this FOMO, especially when they're spending a lot of time online. FOG is fear of joining in. And like I said, teens might not understand that acronym, but it's actually an experience where some teens are afraid to put themselves out there because of the reaction they might get from their peers. So it's a totally different experience. They might be scrolling, but afraid to post something or share because they're afraid, will they get any likes or will they get any positive comments? So both of those experiences just you know, shine a light on how this is really tricky for kids to navigate. These are young brains that are still developing. So by just by talking about all that in the book, I just want to shed some light on that too. So let's talk about this. This is really hard when we're experiencing FOMO. And it's also uncomfortable when we might be experiencing some fear of joining in with our peers too. So so yeah, there's a lot to talk about on the texting side. Well, it sounds like this technology, I mean, it's a technology, it's amoral. It doesn't, it's how we use it that defines 
whether it's it's healthy or unhealthy. But I yes. like how you say that this technology and, and these phones have an, give us an opportunity to talk about things in the lives of our children that are important and that help them. Yes. To know what where their fears are, where their anxieties are, what are their interests, what you know, what, how can we help steer them using their own choices to become who they are meant to be. Yeah, and that's a big premise of the book is how can we use this technology as a force for good? And there's a lot of power in kids' hands there. So they can choose. Actually, somebody's in a, a situation of, let's say, digital drama online, which is a basically an argument playing online between peers and it's getting really mean. Maybe they say, hey, guys, time to pull this offline. Talk face to face. Or you know, let's say another example, somebody is, they're sharing something really important to them and taking a moment to, to really acknowledge that. Like, hey, that is so cool. Good for you. So, so I really encourage my kids and other kids to think about ways that they can use this powerful tool that they've got in their hand as a force for good, as a force to make the world a better place. That's probably the best place to, to end is let's use this for, as a force for good. That's what we want to do. Make the world a better place. Absolutely. Okay. Jessica, you shared at the beginning that it's www.jessicaspear.com. But where else can our audience find you online if they want to search? I am on pretty much most of the social channels, except for Twitter. I haven't, I haven't dipped my toe in Twitter yet, but I am on Instagram and I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Facebook and Pinterest. So the easiest place to find me, because I can't even remember all my nice signatures on those, is, is just go to my website and right at the top, you can connect with me on social. And I'm more than happy to answer questions and hear about what you might be dealing with with your family, feel free to reach out. You know, I love to visit schools as well. You know, this, this book is especially great because I can talk one with the kids, but I can also talk with the parents and talk about what are some tools that they can start to implement maybe in their school as well as their homes to help everybody navigate this. All right. Wonderful. Well, again, Jessica Spear, author of The Phone Book. Great topic. Great talk today. Thank you for sharing with us. Now, as we conclude today's podcast, I'd like to thank Familius for their support in bringing this podcast to your ears and your heart. We'd be thrilled if you subscribed to the podcast and left us a review. And when you're ready for that next amazing book adventure, we'd be honored if you chose a book from Familius. One step at a time, one book at a time, we can make the world a happier and, as Jessica says, better place. 